All right, Competitor Nation, we're back with a brand new episode talking about mindfulness for athletes with Mika Shaw. What's up, Competitor Nation? Jake here, your Chief Encouragement Officer, and welcome or welcome back to the Compete Everyday Podcast. Today's a fun one as we get to talk to Mindfulness for Athletes founder Mika Shaw about her journey pursuing the Olympic dream, falling short of it, what internally, mentally she went through, and why she's building out the company now that she has to help athletes overcome some of those mental struggles and why you and I, athletes, former athletes, always an athlete at heart, we need mindfulness in our lives. We need to develop that skill. And, and it's not something that we just flip a switch when we want to. When we want to be present, we just turn it on, we turn it off. It's a skill just like everything else, our grit, our resilience, our mental toughness, our gratitude. It's that muscle that we need to build each and every single day. So Mika and I talk about how do we actually build that mindfulness muscle. And, and really, we dive into the importance of process over outcome. How if you're like me, Sometimes you struggle by being fixated on that finish line. And when you fall short of that finish line, it just devastates you. But more than that, you fail to give yourself credit for all the progress you made, for all the work that you've done, for the person that you've become along the way. When we get demotivated, we tend to check out, and a lot of us, we don't attempt to go after anything else. We don't pursue another victory because we fell short of that one. When in reality... It's our process that determines our outcome. And if we can fall in love with that process, if we can practice gratitude in that process, we're setting ourselves up for success, not only in that endeavor, but in all the other endeavors we'll go through in life. So I think today is a very important conversation on mindfulness. If you remember the last dance documentary of Michael Jordan, one of the things that was thrown out in the documentary that was almost just missed by most people was talked about how Jordan had an uncanny ability to be mindful. How when he was in the game, his sole focus was on that play. When he was in practice, his sole focus was on that practice. He wasn't distracted by everything else. He wasn't anywhere else. His ability to be mindful, to stay present, was unreal. It's one of the things that made him so incredibly powerful as an athlete is that he wasn't distracted by failures that had happened, missed shots. He wasn't worried about what was happening the next time down the court. He was only focused on what am I going to do right now to make the play, to score the bucket, to help my team get closer to winning. Mindfulness can be a superpower. Before we dive into this week's show and welcome Mika in, I want to ask a quick favor. If you are enjoying the Compete Everyday podcast, could you leave me a quick rating and review on iTunes? Just share your feedback and thoughts. If you're loving the show, the solo episodes, the interviews, just give us a quick rating and review on iTunes so that other people can start to discover the Compete Everyday podcast. And if you've already left that review, do me one last favor then and just share this episode with someone. Share this episode with someone who you know is, is big into swimming. Maybe they're high schoolers in swimming. Maybe they're still competitively swimming. Maybe you know someone that struggles to be present. Share this episode as encouragement for them. Introduce them to the Compete Everyday mindset because what do we know about competing every day? It's the fact that everybody wants to win, everybody wants victories, everybody wants prizes, but not everybody wants to compete for it because not everybody is willing to risk falling short in the pursuit of that goal. Most people 
won't go after the goal unless they're 100% sure they're going to get it. And that's just not how life works. That's not how any meaningful pursuit works. There is a chance of failure. And so this show is all about encouraging and equipping the ones who are willing to risk failure, who get onto the arena floor and compete for what they want, the life they want, the people they love, the goals they've set. They know failure may happen. They know they're probably going to fall down a time or two, but they plan to get up and keep going until they get to that victory. So if you know somebody like that, if you want to encourage somebody to be that, share this episode with them. Help introduce them to this mentality of what it means to compete every single day in the pursuit of your victory. Now, to get in touch with me or the show, drop me an email to podcast at competeeveryday.com. Just say hi. For those of you that have, you know I'm going to say hi back. And now let's get into this week's brand new episode, Competitor Nation, with my new friend, Mika Shaw. Mika, welcome to the Compete Everyday Podcast. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I'm looking forward to our conversation today on mindfulness. Interestingly enough, the last kind of few weeks of episode, that theme is, has continued to pop up in conversations unexpectedly. And so intentionally having that conversation today with you, I think is going to be a lot of fun. Before we dive into some of the work you do with athletes, give us a quick snapshot of, of kind of what you do today, family, tell us a little bit about yourself. And then I've got a few questions. I'm curious about how you got to this point. Yeah. So currently, um, I live in Long Beach. I have um, two children, six and nine, and um, I'm in grad school. So I'm in my first uh, year at Long Beach State getting my master's, master's excuse me, in sports psychology. So when did you start? When did you start the program? Um, I started in the fall. It was, I guess, for me, one of the potential silver linings of COVID yeah. wasn't really something that I thought was an option for me right now with, with motherhood. Um, but I reached out just to ask a couple questions about like prerequisites and what I would need to do. Cause it was kind of in my mind, I've been really focused on the meditation and mindfulness aspect. Um, but I've, I want to learn as much as possible. So the sports psychology side of it is really interesting to me as well. Um, and sort of all of the reasons I had for not doing it, uh, my excuses didn't, <laughs> they weren't working. And so every time I was like, oh, well, surely I can't do it because of X or Y. It was like, oh, no, that's not an issue. Um, so I applied really late and it was kind of like, a, well, we'll just see what happens. And I got in and, and here we are. So I'm curious before I get into some of your background, mindfulness and, and just our ability to be present in the moment, um, kind of aware of ourselves in the moment, balancing kids, grad school, your own kind of brand and business as well here. How do you, I would say, balance it all? I know there's no such thing as a 50-50 work-life balance, but how are you prioritizing, I should say, your time? So that when you're in the midst of something, whether it's a podcast interview or time with your kids or, or studying for class, you're all in on that moment. Because I yeah. think that's a struggle for a lot of us of, of being completely present, completely mindful in a moment when maybe there's a million other things going on in the back of our heads. Yeah, that's a good question. I, um, I would like to have like a, a better answer than I'm really like killing it right now. But honestly, um, yeah, this year's been a struggle. And I mean, from 
most everybody, I think. Um, and I think what mindfulness, the practice has taught me over the years is that aspect of kindness is really important. So when I find myself thinking all of these, well, I should be doing this better. I should be more present here or, you know, more efficient here. I'm like, okay, like this is not normal. <laughs> like this year has been um, challenging for everybody. And sometimes you got to give yourself a little bit of a break. Um, I, I'm pretty adverse to the word balance because I just don't think it's possible. And I think with motherhood, um, maybe more, that's like my experience. I haven't been in like the workforce for very long. Um, and I know that word gets thrown around a lot with like work-life balance, but like people always like, oh, how do you balance like children and, you know, doing all this stuff? And I'm like, I don't know if I do balance it. I try to be present with what I'm doing. And then when I move on to the next thing, um, to be present with that. And sometimes, um, it, sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't. And in those moments, that's when I kind of have to be like, okay, like I'm doing the best I can and um, show myself a little kindness, which has definitely been a journey because that's not something that I've I've been especially good at over the years. Well, and I'm curious along those lines, you were a competitive athlete. You trained in the Olympics, open water swimming. Uh, you were one of the best in the world at it. Swimming always fascinates me as someone who can paddle to stay alive, but like competitive swimming, I don't have that technique or experience, but you're kind of all in your head in the water. It's just you and your thoughts. Team sports were my thing growing up. You had teammates, you had other things, it, very different than being a golfer, being a swimmer, where it's just you on there. Do you think the very competitive side of you training at that high level, kind of having to be all in when you're in the water and deal with what's going on in your head while you're trying to perform, do you think that's positioned you really to do the work that you're doing now? Or what was the connection between going from elite level athlete to saying, I really need to help other athletes with mindfulness? Because probably when you started, and really, I think we've just seen a surge over the last 10 years that that is being a little more of a common phrase and, and talked about, because I know 20 years ago when I was, you know, high school heading into college, like mindfulness, meditation, that's woo woo. That's, that's yeah. not athlete talk that we, totally. don't, we don't talk in that space. So talk to us about how you kind of went from one to the other and, and saw that opportunity to really help with mindfulness, because it is so powerful for athletes when they can harness it. Yeah, so I think um, my experience is why I am doing what I'm doing now because um, I struggled so much with, um, with my experience and I didn't uh, process it um, efficiently. <laughs> Was it just uh, being in your own head? Yeah, I mean, I think, I guess I have to take it back to my experience and explain like my athletic experience and then how it got me to mindfulness and meditation. Yeah. Um, I swam um, for Berkeley. I actually transferred. So I guess I, I grew up in Alaska, moved to California, went to a community college. Um, and so I was good in Alaska, but my competitive bubble wasn't very big. Um, I didn't know really like any Olympians or national caliber athletes. Um, and then I moved to California and I was really intimidated about like, oh, I'm going to California. Everybody's fast. Like I'm going to suck and I'm not going to be good. But then I get to the junior college and I was a competitor. I was um, a contributor to my team. So I had 
you know, things that I could have worked on then, but they didn't seem to be that big of a deal because I was performing well and I was winning my races. Um, but when I, I ended up transferring to Berkeley and that was kind of when my world expanded as far as like the competition, I, um, was intimidated again, but this time, like I was training with Olympians, I was competing against Olympians and I, I let this feeling of not being good enough, um, just sort of cloud my, um, vision for what I could accomplish. So I kind of stepped back, it's feel weird to say this, but I like stepped back. I'd be like, oh, well, they're really good. They're up here. Like, I'm not that good. So like, I wouldn't even try to race them. And <laughs> it's frustrating to think that now, but. Um, Let me ask you along those lines. And, and the reason I'm going to ask is because the episode that just aired on Monday before this is airing is around identity. Yes. And when we tie our identity to what we do, uh, because I struggled with that mightily after sports of like, yes. well, who am I? And so it sounds like that was a very similar situation with you of your identity was in your performance. And it was great if you were kind of in that top of the pack, but when you were put in that competitive environment, that's designed to pull you upwards, the identity stepped in because you're like, well, if I can't compete with them at that level, who am I? Is that pretty accurate to say? Kind of. I think I just, I like knew I knew I was getting in my own way. Like I knew I was, um, I knew I, I could swim faster. I knew I had more potential. And I knew that like how I was processing my competitive environment was inhibiting my success, but I didn't know what to do. Like I didn't have the, um, I didn't feel comfortable to talk to my coaches. I didn't talk to my teammates about it. It was just kind of, it was all in my head. And um, I am a very, internal, I guess I process things, everything's inside. Yeah. So I'm just like overanalyzing and um, that's just what I did. So when I graduated from, from college, I, I had a good career. I mean, but I wasn't, I still wasn't like a ranked national caliber athlete. Um, I had no business to continue swimming. So I, you know, retired after I was finished and sort of moved on with my life. Um, but I've just always, I like love being an athlete. I still do. If I could be a professional athlete now in any sport, I would jump at the opportunity. Um, so I was still um, competing. I was still doing like master swimming. I got really involved with like lifeguarding competitions and um, like the little ocean swims around Southern California. And that's when I got exposed to one of the guys that I swam with told me that open water was going to be in the Olympics for the first time in 08. And I had no experience <laughs> with the event. So the event in the Olympics is a 10K, but in the um, open water sort of circuit, there's the, in the, at the national level, there's a 5K, a 10K and a 25K as far as races. And um, I remember talking to my dad about it and he was like, you should do it. I will, I will support you as long as I can. And I was like, this is so crazy. I'm not a distant swimmer. Um, I've never, I've never swam this <laughs> race before. Um, but I'm also a big dreamer. And I think that's plays into my journey. I've just always held this sort of like, I think a lot of people get held back by like, well, what if I fail? And I've always had this vision, like, well, what if I make it? Like, what if I succeed? And I can visualize, like imagery for me is really easy. I can like picture everything and I can feel it. And um, so, I, so I started swimming professionally um, in open water swimming. 
And um, I knew I had to make a change mentally. So I had to train my mind just like I trained my body. And so I, I started reading like any book I could on sports performance. And um, that sort of led me to find um, a author in San Clemente actually, which I was training Mission Viejo. He wrote a book called The Mental Edge. Um, and it was like the first book, his name's Ken Baum. Baum. It was the first book I read that actually gave you instructions on what to do. I felt like a lot of books would tell you like, oh, they would tell you how amazing Michael Jordan was and how mentally tough and, you know, he worked so hard and all of these things. But it's like, well, well, what is he doing to improve those mental skill sets? And that was kind of what I wanted to know, like, what can I do to get better? Um, so that was kind of the first book I found that helped me on that journey. And I actually ended up calling the number on the back of the book and Ken answered and we found out we lived close together, close to each other. Um, and I started working with him and um, he was so generous with his time. I had no money. Open water swimming is not like swimming is hard to make a living, but <laughs> open water swimming, it's like no one knows that it's a sport. No one's paying to go watch it. There's like no um, there's not a lot of opportunity. So financially, you know, I was living off of like, you know, barely any money and everything I had went to paying for travel expenses and training. Um, so in two years, I went from being a novice who had no experience to winning the national championships to then go on to the world championships. And at the world championships is where um, you would qualify to make the Olympics. And only it was a different qualifying process. So I won't get into that because it's a little long-winded, but um, only 25 people in the world make the Olympics in the 10K, unlike pool swimming where um, you have two people per event. Um, and so I went to the world championships and I didn't make it. <laughs> I um, It was one of the best race experiences at, you know, just the wrong time. Um, but what I really struggled with is that within those basically two years, I went from, you know, not even like just quit. I worked at Saks Fifth Avenue. <laughs> I quit my job. I started training again after two years off from swimming. So in two years, I went from like having no business in the sport to winning, you know, the national championships to represent my country at the world championships. So I'd made this huge um, improvement in two years. And um, when I didn't make the Olympics, I only focused on the fact that I failed. I felt such a deep sense of shame and failure. And I just bottled it up and um, didn't acknowledge how I was feeling. Um, and I think, you know, most people know if you hold something in, <laughs> there's only like a certain amount of time where that works yep. and then it's going to come up. Um, and so that's sort of for me, like with mindfulness is that years later, I, um, I briefly tried to swim a little bit longer. I tried to start a training again for the 12 Olympics, but then I retired, started, started my family and started getting into like yoga and Pilates and then which led me to meditation and mindfulness. Um, and it was really through that practice that I started to recognize, like have the awareness to look at that experience and realize like, wow, I didn't give myself credit for one thing I did. 
it was all my entire focus was on this one race that I perceived it as a failure. Um, it's interesting to hear you kind of share pieces of that. Cause there's, there's a couple of key things that you've said throughout that. I really want to make sure the listeners get the first was when you were in college, the, how you kept everything bottled up, how you didn't ask for help. You didn't talk to people. And, and a lot of that festered inside. And so, you know, I want listeners to know, like, whenever you're having that inner dialogue, for sure, you need to ask for help. Like, that's, that's actually a good thing to do. Everyone that is succeeds in an arena, just like you called Ken up and, and were like, hey, don't have any money, but read your book, love it, and, and got to know him, like, you ask for that help. And so we have to be willing to kind of get out of our head or ego or pro- whatever the case may be and ask for that help and, and the importance of the second thing you said is you didn't have that kind of groundwork prior. And the one thing I think we've hammered on the show over the last 12 months as we've kind of gone through COVID is the importance of doing the work before you need it. And people that have done the mindfulness practice or have built kind of more of their resilience going into COVID, they handled the uncertainty so much better Absolutely. because they prepared for it. And so right now, even though we're still in the midst of it, if you put in the time, you're preparing yourself for something that's going to happen down the road because we're going to have adversity and challenges and heartbreak and yeah. it's just part of life. The last thing you said that I'm fascinated by because I carried the same mentality for years is our fixation on the outcome over the process Yes, and how damaging that can be to us because there's a time and the place for us on race day, we care about the outcome. Yeah. Every other day we should be focused on the process. And that's a really hard gear to switch yeah. because it's like, I need the win. I need the Olympics. I need all X, Y, and Z. And if we miss it, just like you said, and you shared, you miss all of this stuff that you did in, in a matter of 24 months, which is incredible. How do you, now that you've kind of gone through it, looking back, how do you help your athletes become more obsessed with the process over the outcome for the majority of that journey? Yeah, I think it's just breaking down all of the, you know, to, to hold that goal, like to still have the goal. I I used to be like, very like, oh, I'm going to write my goals down and like, you know, and I still think it's important because I think you have to, you have to have that big goal and then break it down into like the little goals along the way. But um, I also think like having, you know, your value, like knowing why you're doing something and kind of holding that intention or your values or like however however you want to phrase it like close to your heart so that you're you're moving forward with that in mind um and I think really focusing on the pro like the little the small things like that's what I've noticed more just like the last couple years in my own life like the little things are everything like they, they really are and you feel like you you experience those little moments and they they build on each other um, and then it sort of helps sustain the practice or to like keep moving forward. Um, and I think it's hard for athletes. It's easy for me to say that now, like now I have this openness of like, I still have a lot of athletic dreams I want to do, but I have like, you know, I'm like, well, I want to be 90 <laughs> and swimming in the ocean. Like I can experiment with all these ways, but when you're training for the Olympics or you're in college and you have two years to be the best yeah. you can be or four years, it's, I think it's harder to, um, it's harder to, to see the big picture and it's harder to break it down because it's just so focused on, 
on um, that short amount of time and you have to make it work. You have to, you know, see the improvement. Would you say, uh, so then let, let's kind of dive into this a little bit. I love kind of riffing on this because what I'm seeing in my head and what I'm hearing you is still write down the goal. So if the goal is make the Olympics, we're going to still put that down, but really every day, what we should be writing down and focused on is show up strong, yes. give a hundred percent effort in the training until the whistle blows focus on what I put into my body, make sure I get eight hours of sleep. Like those little things, they're not that sexy sleep recovery, all out effort and practice show up how, what's the feeling I want to show up as today, strong, grateful, whatever. But if we only focus on those four things, we're going to get that top spot or be really close to it. Yeah. Because the process is taking care of it. So is that what I'm hearing? You write down the goal, but really when we're writing down on a daily basis, what's the little step we need to take yeah. today that is going to keep us mindful in what we can do today? Is that kind of accurate in, in terms of what I'm hearing you say so that I'm giving our listeners hopefully something they can start doing at home? Yes, definitely. And I, the one thing I would add to that, which I honestly, I don't know if when I was an athlete, if someone told me this, if I would have, I would have might have just been like whoa you're too much for me <laughs> like you need to stop talking but um I would say gratitude like gratitude like practicing gratitude as an intentional practice for me has transformed the way that I I viewed my experience as an athlete um and it's it's changed the way that I've dealt with stressful um and challenging situations in my life now I think if you can see even in the midst of um really dark times that there's these tiny little things to be grateful for once you start looking for them you can see them easier you're like oh yeah that was like that was you know I, I made some amazing friends on that team or like look at the amazing places that I traveled to or like you they, it builds on itself so like once if you if every day you just said like one thing out of my day that I'm grateful for and maybe at first it's really hard to find that thing but then the next day it's like oh yeah I'm grateful for that and then this and then you know, and then you start to see all these tiny little grateful moments all over the place. Um, and I think that helps. Yeah. And, and uh, for those listening, Dr. Nicole Gabbana of uh, UMass Sports Psych was on the show a month or two ago. She talked about with gratitude, like you don't actually have to feel it to do it, yeah. to practice it. And so uh, go back, check out that episode. Uh, one of the things I'm curious with you is you ever kind of brand yourself mindfulness for athletes. 10, 15 years ago, as we talked about, this whole mental game wasn't widely talked about. Um, I remember here and there, like on ESPN or Sports Center, they would talk about a football player that would do yoga in the off season. And it was, ooh, it was a big deal to do yoga and meditation for this big, burly football player. Now it's like, why aren't you doing it? Why aren't you doing this mobility? Why aren't you building this mental practice? When you kind of encounter that friction of people are like, mm mindfulness, yoga, like I, I need to go lift weights. I need to be in the pool swimming. I, I, I've got all this stuff going on. What's kind of your, I would say not really a selling point, but how do you try to convince them that this is a valuable piece of your arsenal as an athlete um, and really in life outside of sports as well? Yeah, I think um, it can be a hard selling point. And also I think, I think it's easier to get sort of people like, they're like, oh, it sounds really great, right? You know, like, oh, yeah, I want to feel calm or, you know, whatever it is. But then it's like, well, then you actually have to practice. And I think that's the part that it's easier, especially for athletes to be like, oh, well, I'm going to go work really hard in the gym, you know, but then like sitting quietly for 
10 or 15 minutes can seem like really intimidating um, or just daunting. Um, I think that when you talk about um, it, what comes to mind, one of my favorite books is George Mumford's The Mindful Athlete. Yep. Athlete, excuse me. And he talks about this, that he's never, he, like people always think like, oh, it's going to be really hard to convince people um, to practice mindfulness. And he, I'm summarizing here. He's like, I just talk about flow and like, what is it like when you have that great race experience? Like, what are the qualities? Um, and then it gets people excited because it's like, yeah, I do, I do want to feel that, you know, like I want to have those experiences. Um, and, you know, those are sort of mental skills that you can work on um, and, and build. Um, I also think like, I think of it more as like, sometimes you're just planting a seed. Like maybe I'm not the one that you're, that my story is going to resonate with you. Um, maybe we'll have a brief conversation about mindfulness or meditation. And you're like, yeah, that's kind of interesting. But um, like, I'm, I'm kind of in the middle, like I'm not super like woo woo, <laughs> woo, -woo you know? Um, so maybe like that's more what you want or, you know, whatever it is. So hearing you talk about that, what I love is, is you are in the middle. And I also think the more you get into this and, and work on this, as you've connected with Lainey Silversides and, and some other people that we're mutually connected with, is that there's someone out there for everyone, which yeah. is great because if someone is way into that or they're on the opposite end, they're like, don't tell me it's mindfulness. Don't tell me we're meditating. Like call it something else. That's a little more aggressive because that's what yeah. I want. Like there's somebody out there for that. And, and the beauty of of being mindful is probably a little bit of that abundance mindset that I can help you find that person. Because if, if I can help you find that person, that's going to help you, we're still connected. You're going to succeed. You're probably going to like, it's somehow going to come back to help me, but I'm just doing it because I don't have to change who I am to serve you best. Yeah. And so along those lines, tell me kind of the type of athletes or individuals that, that do tend to work with you or, or who you feel like you're the best fit for. I think, I, I mean, obviously I have the experience with, with swimming, so it's easy to connect with swimmers and to, um, you know, share th that experience. Um, but I think, I mean, I'm really excited to work with all athletes. I think when you start talking about like the mental skills, they are like very universal. So sometimes I pigeonhole myself and I'm like, well, maybe you know, like an MMA fighter is not going to want to talk about meditation with me. Um, however, I've been, I've been surprised by some of the, the athletes that I have felt like I've formed more of a connection with because it's like, yeah, we do look, we do seem like opposite or opposite sports. But once you start talking about it, you know, there's a connection there with, with um, the mental side of it, because, you know, you can be nervous in any sport. Yeah. Uh, you can have lack of confidence or awareness and focus. It doesn't matter what your sport is. It's, um, you know, it's their skills that you need um, regardless. Well, and, and hearing you talk about a lot of your journey, those listening that are still active athletes or that are the parent of one or no one understand when you get in your own head and what that's like and how it you're unable to make the next play, make the next move because your head and your focus is everywhere except where it should be. And I think that translates to what happens to us in life. If one thing happens out of our control, we lose focus on what's still in our control, what we can still do, kind of what matters most, which is our next step. Um, so it's, it's great hearing that, especially from the diversity of the type of athletes you've worked with, because 
especially hearing your story, there's people out there that can relate to it and, and knowing that you've gone through it and you're like, man, I wish I had this because I know every time I have these conversations, I'm like, man, I wish I had that. Yeah. I wish I was more mindful in high school or like, yeah. oh, like man, what, what a different ride that would have been um, for all of us. And so I, I think that's incredibly helpful and appreciate you sharing. Miko, where can people go to find out more about you and your work and, and how to get connected with you? Um, yeah, so I have a website, a simple website. It's mikashaw.com, um, M-I-C-H-A-S-H-A-W. And um, I'm on Instagram, mikashaw. Um, I actually just joined Twitter, but um, just literally at Mika B. Shaw, but I haven't tweeted anything yet. But maybe it's okay. Twitter's scary. Yeah. Twitter, Twitter's <laughs> kind of a dumpster fire. I'm just going to warn you. Yeah, uh, I can only imagine. <laughs> well, and, and you, uh, for those listening, if you are into uh, following, go online, go on Instagram. She's got just an awesome family, uh, cute dog, Billy, as well. Um, so a lot of great content, but it's a great way to get connected with her, especially if, if today's conversation has kind of struck a chord with you. And maybe you are an athlete and you want to reach out and connect with her, or maybe you're a former athlete like a lot of us, and you're just like, man, I wish I had this. I can totally relate. Uh, give her a follow, reach out, say hi as well. Mika, thank you so incredibly much for just making time. And then as well as your transparency and authenticity today, kind of sharing some of those struggles, uh, because I think it's helpful for us to realize that the, the work that we're doing today, you and I, and, and the others that we've had on the show, like we've gone through the mess, a lot of the mess. And so that's kind of why we're driven to do what we do. That's why you're going through and working through grad school now. That's why you, you started the work that you have the last few years is because you want to be able to help other people avoid some of those challenges internally that you went through. So I, I appreciate you making time today and space to, to join the show and talk about it. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for tuning in to another episode of the Compete Everyday Podcast. As always, drop us a note with your feedback to podcast at competeeveryday.com. Check out more episodes, find amazing apparel, get connected with the community at competeeveryday.com. And until next week, bring your best, show up every day regardless of how you feel, and be that type of competitor you were created to be.